Genesis chapter 27. This morning we are looking at a rather lengthy passage. Because of that, we will not be looking at every verse, every word in every verse, but rather understanding the story as a whole. So if you're not familiar with this story, then I would encourage you to read, read it entirely in your, in your own time. Fortunately for us, I think most of this story is, a, is very familiar to us. So I'm going to just read the beginning of it. And you'll notice there, the text begins that we have, that I've selected is begins at the end of chapter 26, and we'll refer to that later on, but right now I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, 27. Just read a little bit before we begin. Genesis 27 and verse 1 says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he couldn't see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. He answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. You shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Father, we do ask that you will give us that which we do not have. Make us that which we have not yet become. Lead us from your word, please, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When was the last time that you blessed somebody? Chances are it wasn't that long ago. You're like most people. You've probably done it a hundred times just in the new year sitting in a quiet classroom, or you're at a noisy restaurant, it doesn't really matter. And then without warning, a person involuntarily and violently clears their nose, sort of sneezes. Eyes shut, the muscles tense, everything is held in suspense, and then sneeze comes out. Sometimes it's a little squeal, sometimes like a violent banshee. That's how I describe my wife's sneezes. And then, almost without fail, and maybe even without even thinking, someone from across the room even offers the words, God bless you. You've done it, right? Some of you do it. You're superstitious and you do it. You don't know why you do it, but you do it. No one really knows where this phrase got started. Sometimes it's, God bless you. Sometimes it's just bless you for those who don't believe in God. They just bring some blessing in from some place that they have no idea. 
you speak other languages, maybe you use other words. And I just thought it was interesting to see the different responses that people have to a sneeze. Some people think that this whole thing got started because the sneeze was a sign of a bubonic plague in a person. And so the, the uh, I think it was a pope at the time, said the phrase, at least the legend goes, and trying to bless them so that they wouldn't die or that they wouldn't die uh, from the, the plague. Another ancient superstition is that the idea that the soul left the body when a person sneezed and the devil would snatch you away. And so someone would offer this blessing to keep the devil from stealing your soul to a sneeze. Nowadays, I think it's just a customary response. You just say it. You don't think about it. You don't know why we're saying it. And I think for a lot of people, it really doesn't mean anything, even when you invoke the blessing of God. What do you mean when you say it? Do you mean anything at all when you say it? The story that we have here in Genesis 27 involves this transfer of a blessing. There's no sneezing going on, but there is a blessing that is being transferred from Isaac to a son. But really, the whole story involves the blessing. This is the setting of the whole thing. Isaac wanted to give the blessing to Esau. Rebekah wanted it to go to Jacob. Jacob has, uh, deceived his father to get it. Esau wanted to kill his brother because he stole it. And finally, at the end of the story, Isaac gives it to Jacob intentionally and knowingly. Giving a blessing is a big deal. And the more that we read Genesis 27, the more that I look through this, and the more that we understand it, I think we understand that the people in this story didn't quite grasp the significance of the blessing. Namely, the fact that the blessing is not mine to give, but God's. When you say the words, God bless you to someone, you are making a little prayer, may God bless you. In that, uh, in that violent thing that your nose just did. In the story of Isaac and Jacob and Esau and, and Rebekah, we find a blessed but very dysfunctional family. For those of you who would say, I have a dysfunctional home, you might find some comfort, at least in knowing you're not the only one. Isaac's life is complicated. From, very, from the very beginning, since, the, since we see his name appear in the scriptures, we see Isaac ups and downs. We see him faithful. We see him fearful. We see him obeying. We see him acting in his own wisdom. It's a lot like us. Some days we did it right. Some days we trusted God. Other days, not so much. Isaac's life, just like our lives, can be summarized as complicated. Spiritual blessing is good. And Isaac's family enjoyed spiritual blessing. But the way that they handled the spiritual blessing was not so good. Very bad, actually. In fact, one writer uh, just summarized this as a story of a family that fragments over the pursuit of a blessing. Think about all the dysfunction that came because of this good thing that God had given them. 
And we find in Isaac's family story a cautionary tale for our own families. Yet through the brokenness and the failures of this ancient family, we will see gospel truth emerge and give us hope for today. Now this morning, I think, and I know, and I, I intend to show you, that the truth of this chapter, the truth of this text, is for all of us. But especially to men, dads, the husbands. There is something here for the moms and the singles and for the children. Dads, I, I ask you to pay special attention because I think the responsibility falls to all of us, but first, it falls to us. Christian fathers must learn to submit to God's will, follow God's will, and teach it to their children. They must learn to acknowledge, accept, live by it, to pass it on. The other side of that is that we invite trouble into our lives and into our families when we resist the revealed will of God, when we try to manipulate what God has revealed, we try to do anything other than God has made plain and clear. So if you look in Genesis 27 again, we, I want to show you the story. And if you have the notes there, I, I included this. This is a little bit more um, academic and not necessarily something I, I want to spend a lot of time on this morning. But because we have such a lengthy passage to look at and not enough time to look at every bit of it, and because there's so much to take from this, this story that we couldn't possibly get at all, I would like to at least give you the structure of the story and then help you to see where I'm coming from so that maybe you would go back later and dig up the rest of the gold that is there. What we have in this structure is called a, a chiasmus. It's a, a literary device that is used to develop a thought by presenting certain elements and then repeating those elements in reverse order. So if you look there in the notes there, it kind of looks like an arrow. It's, it's developing a thought, and then it's re retreating, at least, as the story continues. A very short example of this comes from Mark 2.27, where Jesus said, The Sabbath was not made, I'm sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so we have parallel lines, but that they act in reverse order, and they do that to help us remember it better, but also to understand the point. And so in a way, the, the, the chiasmus points us to the main idea. It gives us this overall message. And so that's why I say there's so much here, and we could spend so much time talking about a variety of different truths and draw lessons from, but Understanding the structure at least helps us to see the message of the whole story. So instead of just focusing on part of it, uh, we're going to back up and look at all of it and then see what is the big idea, what is the main message, 
And if you're following it along there, we see that this structure begins and ends with a theme. It is the theme of Esau choosing wives. So that's why our text begins in the end of chapter 26 in the last two verses there, because there Esau finds wives among the Hittites. And it is ended with Esau finding wives among the Ishmaelites. Now those two pieces bracket the rest of the inside story, and they do play into it, although we may not draw that out this morning, but uh, they, they do play a part in there. So we see that the story begins with Isaac's intention to bless Esau, followed by Rebekah's interference to help Jacob, ending in Jacob getting the blessing, and then the story develops further by going backwards. Esau loses the blessing. Rebekah interferes on behalf of Jacob, and Jacob intends to bless, I'm sorry, and Isaac intends to bless Jacob. So you can kind of see how it's going. Now, if you don't get that, it's okay. If you think, ah, oh, that's, that's, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't matter, that's fine. We're going to move on anyways. But if you would like to understand a little bit more of the structure, I give you this, so this might be a help to you. From this, though, we see the point is that Jacob the younger is going to be blessed, is blessed, instead of Esau the older. And so we're, we're looking at this thing called, I'm calling Isaac's folly, Isaac's foolishness. Because in this text, we don't find a whole lot of positive instruction. We don't find a whole lot of positive anything. Rather, what we get is a lot of negative. Don't do this. Don't try this. In fact, I played with the idea this, this week several times uh, of uh, how to ruin your family. Uh, ten tips from Isaac on how to destroy your family. But we, we're not going that way. Instead, we can learn from this positively how we might bless our families, how we might lead our families well, and what happens when we don't. So we're going to look at Isaac's folly, two, two of them, two parts of that, and then we're going to see the responsibility that we have and that Isaac had concerning this blessing, but all of it revolves around the blessing. First of all, notice the folly of resisting God's revealed will. Genesis, uh, Genesis 27, 1 through 4, tells us how Jacob, uh, how Isaac intended to pass on a blessing, but to the wrong guy. Now, let me back up before we get into that too much and explain what I mean by the revealed will, because that's, that's an important piece of the puzzle. The folly of resisting God's revealed will. Within the will of God, everything that God is, knows and what God is doing, there is a lot that is above our security clearance. There is just a lot more that's going on that God knows about than we do not. And God does not explain himself to us. He is not obligated to tell us. It's above our pay grade. And it is not for us to know. Now being the humans that we are, we often spend a lot of time trying to peek over the fence and see what is on the other side in the hidden will of God. But it's not for us to know and we only frustrate ourselves and deceive ourselves even. But on the other side, 
that which we do know is called the revealed will of God. And that is what truth and purpose God has, that he has shown to us, he has revealed it to us, and this is the realm that we operate in. So through nature, as we read uh, in, uh, in Romans 1, I read a little bit, through, uh, through, the, through the, the revealed word of God, we find the revealed will of God. This is that which God intends for us to know. But not just know, but to do something with it. So Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 talks about both of these wills of God. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are some things that God has revealed to us, his creatures, not just so that we'll know what's going on, but so that we'll do what we know. God gives us truth that otherwise we would not know. So that we will know it, but also so that we will do something with it. Here is where Isaac's problem stems. Isaac did not like the revealed will of God. Now I need you to back up to chapter 25, and so we can see what is the revealed will of God. All the way back to before the boys were born, in Genesis 25 and verse 23, Rebekah goes to God and asks him, what's going on? Why am I having such a terrible time in pregnancy? And verse 23 says that the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. Now, it is unlikely that Rebecca kept this to herself. And it is even possible that the Lord spoke to Rebecca through her, head, her spiritual head, Isaac. And I think that I could even make a case, but given more time, to, to show you in the wording of Isaac's own blessings that he, what, he knew what God intended. But he resisted it because it wasn't his choice. God had chosen Jacob. Isaac loved Esau. Chapter 25 tells us why Isaac loved Esau. Because he loved the food Esau made. In fact, there's a lot more to say there about the way that Isaac conducted spiritual responsibilities through natural wisdom, natural appetites. Even in our story here, three times we find the phrase concerning Isaac's favorite meal, such as he loves. He was ruled by his belly. He was ruled, he was governed by his appetites. And Isaac had chosen Esau as the favored son. But also Isaac had chosen Esau as the one to whom he was going to pass on the blessing. Isaac was uh, choosing the oldest son. Isaac was following the natural order of things. And outside, apart from God's direct, uh, direct uh, explanation, he would be fine with that because that's how the normal things go. But God had made it clear, he revealed, that the older shall serve the younger. God's choice was not Esau's choice. 
And notice that God has not determined what should be. God has determined what would be. God did not say the older should serve the younger. He says the older shall serve the younger. This is how it's going to be. Get on board, Isaac. He doesn't. He rejects God's will for his own. And in doing so, invites trouble to his family. We do the same when we reject the revealed will of God for ourselves. And since we reject it for ourselves, we don't even teach it then to our sons. I suggest that had Isaac accepted the will of God and taught his sons from the beginning what God's intention was, at least some of the heartache and the trouble that they experienced here would have been avoided. It was not going to change Esau's heart. It was not going to make him all of a sudden the chosen one. But I think a lot of the turmoil that brought, was brought into this family, a lot of what made it a dysfunctional family, was unnecessary because it first of all started with a father who resisted and rejected what God had clearly revealed. But that's not all. We see the folly of manipulating God's revealed will. This is where Rebecca gets involved. Down in verse number five, Rebecca has heard what Isaac intends to do for Esau. And so she develops a plan. Now, if you want to argue that Isaac didn't know what God's intention was, it's really hard to understand what uh, to argue that Rebecca didn't understand because she was specifically, it tells us that she was told and she loved Jacob and she wanted this for Jacob and so she developed a plan on her own. She is not rejecting the will of God. In fact, she wants what God said to happen. Her problem is she goes about and does it in the wrong way. She hijacks God's plan for her own purposes. Because it was God's will for Jacob to be the blessed son. It was not God's will for him to put on his brother's clothes and deceive his father and to take deceptively what God had already promised him. Rebecca is not without fault here. And Jacob is not without guilt here. All of the people in the family are wrong. We find the father is resisting the will of God. And Esau is a profane person, Hebrews tells us. He resists everything about God. But his mother and his brother, Jacob, manipulate the revealed will of God, or at least they try to. Rebecca plots, wanting to do the right thing, but in the wrong way. Apparently, Isaac couldn't be trusted to give the blessing. But Rebecca's actions here show us that God couldn't be trusted either to make sure that Jacob got the blessing. It's this attitude, it's all up to me. I've got to do this. I've got to make it happen or God won't get done what he wants to get done. Friends, not one of us is necessary for God to accomplish his will. He'll use you. He'll use me. He'll use a donkey to talk to Balaam. He'll use uh, he'll use Whatever he wants. Jesus said, 
to the to the I think it was to the teachers. If you silence these uh, these people, the rocks will cry out. God will accomplish His purpose. He doesn't need me and you. And even the fact that we might resist or reject the will of God is not thwarting or frustrating God's plan. And the fact that we try to help God along is not helping God along. Because often we just get in the way, mess it up because we use we, we follow sinful instincts. Rebecca's sin is different than Isaac's, but it's no less sinful. We look down and we see that Jacob is now brought in in verse number 18. He's brought into the deception. He goes along with it. Like his mother, he does not trust God to do what God has promised. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. He's pretending to be someone he is not. In fact, he is pretending to be the one God had rejected in order to get the blessing God had already promised him. You see how backwards this is. All because he didn't believe. He didn't trust. And I believe that it has to do with a father and a mother who did not properly teach. Believe themselves. And he goes on and he creates this elaborate lie. And he's, got, he's wearing goat's hair. Simulate his brother's hairy back. And he's wearing his brother's clothes so that he can simulate his brother's smell. Everything sounds like he, or everything looks like Esau to a blind man. It doesn't sound like him. And finally, Isaac is who gives the blessing. You see that there in verse 26 down. The Abrahamic blessing. And at, at this point in the story, Isaac feels that he has done what he has accomplished, what he wanted to do. But notice how all of a sudden the story unfolds. And all of Isaac's plan is shown to unravel in verse number 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. Coincidentally, huh? It's, not, it's almost like God was orchestrating the arrival of Esau to be at just the right time so that Esau shows up and says, I've done it. Here it is, Dad. Give me that blessing. Here's the food you love. And Isaac, what does it say there? He trembled greatly. Violently, verse 30, 33. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came. I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Jacob had pretended to be the son lied and stolen the blessing from his father. We find here that much trouble is brought into a family simply because one father fails to receive the promise or to believe the promise. Another one tries to manipulate it in her own will. Find division and hatred between the brothers. Esau later says, I'm going to kill my brother. And my father finally dies. We see distrust develop between a father and son. We see uh, uh, the, the son leaves. Jacob has to leave. Partly to, uh, to escape from Esau. And, and another reason to find a wife. But Jacob will never return to see his mother. Next time Jacob comes back, Rebekah has died. And this is, this is kind of the results, the consequences of Rebekah's 
plan. Don't really think about the consequences of manipulating the will of God, and yet they always come. Let me look at the responsibility of handling God's revealed will. Again, we're looking at this story as a whole. Let me just make a couple of comments. First of all, it is not for us to determine what God's will is. Isaac tried that. He found it failed. Even though he tried to do it his way, it happened in the way that God wanted. Not in the means God wanted, but the end was what God had said it would, ha- it would be. It is not for us to determine it. It is not for us to try to override God's will with our own will, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Rebecca, Esau. Isaac seems to act as, the, act as if the blessing was his to give. And that's why he felt he would give it to his son. It wasn't his blessing. Why was Isaac blessed in the first place? Was it because Abraham had given it to him? No. Because God had given it to him. Why did Jacob receive the blessing? Was it because he was sneaky and he stole it? No. Was it because he got his dad to say the magic words to him and to his brother? No. It was because God had chosen to give him the blessing. Had God chosen someone else, it would have gone to that person. The effectiveness of the blessing of God depends on the blessing of God, not of man. It is not then for us to obtain the blessings through the deceit and manipulation of our own wisdom. We cannot justify sinful behavior simply because we had good motives. Simply because we are trying to do a good thing. It's not okay to do wrong in order to get something good. Which also means that it is not for us to figure out what God's will is. God will reveal what He wants us to know. And make us accountable. And the stuff that you don't know, you don't have to try to figure it out. Look at back at verse number 30. Because Isaac eventually got it right. I will say first of all that it is our responsibility to submit to the revealed will of God. We find Isaac finally doing that in verse number 30. When Esau is in the tent. And he says in verse 33, uh, then uh, uh, verse 33, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? And I and all, I ate it all before you came, and I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Maybe at this point Isaac is thinking he's blessed because I gave it to him. It's not. It's because God gave it to him. But then if we go into chapter 28 and we see that finally Isaac gets on board with God's plan, and he calls Jacob to himself, and this actually through some uh, interference from Rebekah, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning that God gave to Abraham. At least at this point, Isaac is, is on board with what God's will is. But before this, Isaac has been resisting all along. And it is not for us to resist. It is not for us to determine or figure it out. It is simply for us first to submit to what God has clearly revealed in His Word. 
Isaac was supposed to pass the blessing on. He was supposed to do it to the one God had chosen. Secondly, it is our responsibility to follow. Not only to acknowledge what God's will is, but to do what God's will commands us to do. That's what the, the Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, that, uh, that he's revealed these things to us that we may do all the words of his law. God has revealed truth to us, not just to make us aware, but to make us obedient. It is our responsibility to submit. It is our responsibility to follow the will of God. In this way, Isaac failed to lead his family in the ways of God. Thirdly, it is our responsibility to trust God to do his will. Specifically, the hidden will. Because there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about. What happens if? Well, what about, I don't know and neither do you, and we could spend a long time talking about it and trying to figure it out, or let God be God and do what God is going to do. There's a, there's a great relief in trusting in God. That God's will will happen. Period. Nothing else needed to worry about. If it's God's will, it's going to happen. And everything that happens is according to the purpose and counsel of God. Nothing can override it. Nothing can overrule it. God's will is going to be accomplished. Not your sin. Not your unbelief. Not your parents' flaws or your husband's failures to lead or your own lack of faithfulness is going to override the faithfulness of God. It's going to happen. You've got to get that settled in your heart. God's will will be accomplished because the blessing comes from God, not from Isaac. Isaac was unfaithful. Isaac was undependable, just like us. Isaac was inconsistent, just like us. But the one from whom the blessing actually comes is unchanging. The one from whom the blessing comes is always right and knows the whole picture. He doesn't just see through a glass darkly. He sees everything. This is the gospel. This is why the gospel brings comfort and hope to us. Because the promises of God depend on Him. The promises of God depend on His faithfulness, not yours and not mine. And that's great, isn't it? Because ours is pretty shabby. Ours isn't really that much to think about. Ours is on and off. Ours is hot and cold. God is unchanging. And the promises depend on His faithfulness. Now, it does not excuse our sinful behavior. Because, well, God's going to do what He wants to do. And Paul speaks of that in in, uh, in, in, in Romans. But it does mean that we can find rest in the certainty that God's will will be done. We don't see the whole picture. So we must follow what God has revealed to us and trust Him with all the rest of it. A writer that I was uh, reading something by a man named Doug Wilson. He made a comment a long time ago that it's every conversation I've had, probably six or seven conversations I've had since I read this, this quote here, uh, I've been reminded and it's been a help to me. 
because it was the will of God was something that was a very big deal to me growing up, and I was always trying to find it, and God was dangling it over my over me with like a carrot. He's like, oh no, 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 you almost got it. And and, I, and when I finally realized that that's not how God operates, it was a huge relief. And it, it was if I'd have read this a long time ago, it would have been much helpful, much more helpful. He says he writes, it is your task to live out the will of God for your life. You are to live it out, not figure it out. We are going to do. Eventually, we're going to accomplish God's purpose. It is for us not to try to figure it out because what we end up doing is sitting down and saying, I will not move until I know what I'm supposed to do. And we'd end up doing nothing. You go in the confidence that God's will will happen. You trust him with the results. Fourthly, or finally, whatever it is, it is our responsibility to teach this all to the next generation. Parents, we have a responsibility to pass down what God has revealed to us. We have a responsibility to teach our children to accept the will of God, to submit before uh, to his authority, to his will, to his determined purpose. We have a responsibility to teach them to follow it, which is what we're doing when we bring them to church and we sit down and we read the Bible together and we pray as a family, when we bring our children to Sunday school and when we, when we teach them, we are teaching them not only to know but to do. Family that resists and manipulates and fails to teach God's ways and His Word will enjoy strife, division, separation, deceit, bitterness, and anger, and hatred, and the list goes on and on. Just look at the families all around us in our world. What is missing? Submission, obedience, trust. God Almighty. Christian, you and I have responsibility to submit to the revealed will of God and follow it. You might not like it. You might not understand it all. But do what you know with what you have. Trust that God will accomplish his purpose. Parents, we have that added responsibility to teach our children these things. Believe it ourselves. Live by it. Teach it. Pass it on. Fathers, Big responsibility being a dad. Maybe bigger than any of us realize. I know that the first time you held that baby in the hospital and you realized, I am responsible for another human being, that weight hits you hard like a ton of bricks. But the more we realize from Scripture what that means, it'll knock you off your feet. We are to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to love our wives and lead our families. Wives, you need to submit to that husband's leadership, that God-ordained headship, even though he's not going to get it right every time. Rebecca was married to a man that for a long time resisted the will of God. Trust that God is going to accomplish his purpose, even though your husband isn't and doesn't get it right every time. Children, learn what your parents are teaching you. Pay attention. Do what it is that, 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 that they're showing you. Learn to love what, what the truths that your parents are passing on. And Christian, let us, let us endeavor to believe and to trust and to follow after our For a long time, Isaac did not understand the, the gift and the responsibility that he had as a family head of the chosen people of God. Dad, do you understand it? 
do you get that you are the head of a spiritual home? You are entrusted with spiritual blessings to pass on. You are entrusted with revealed truth from God himself to give to your next generations. Will you submit and teach and follow? Will you pass on a spiritual legacy? I began by asking the question, when was the last time you blessed somebody? Let me end with a question. When is the next time you are going to bless somebody? Talking about perfunctory response to a sneeze. Talking about intentional, accurate teaching what God has said is going to be done. You have opportunities every day to submit, follow, pass on a spiritual heritage. Let's be faithful. Father, we come this morning and thank you for revealing to us so much. We wouldn't know any of this unless you had presented it to us and revealed it to us. We thank you for the revelation through the word. We thank you for the revelation through creation. Thank you especially for the revelation through the Son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to follow, believe, obey of us to teach the next generation. Give us mercy when we fail. And grace. Try again. Day in and day out. Lead our families. Bless our fathers. Our husbands. Help us to lead. Spiritual leaders. Bless our mothers and wives. Who. Likewise, desire to see spiritual leadership happen and, and need that, that father to step up his leadership. Sometimes feel like they're caught in the middle trying to do the thing that the husband won't do. I pray that you would work in both husband and wife, father and mother, our children. May they catch who are passing don't believe we're changing their hearts. We don't believe we're doing anything other than passing on what you have taught us. We look to you to do the work of regeneration in us, just as you in our children, just as you've done in us. May we be faithful with our responsibility. Dad, you gave it to us. Bless us with this. Pray. Ask you to do these things because we pray in.